Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the problems that we have in the Christian life always pertain to the mind. The mind is where the battle is fought. It's in the way that we think. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So whatever's going on within my heart, the way that I think about particular things, it is expressed by the way that I live and interact and move and have my being. So for the believer, our problems are not then, uh, you know, that happens there, happening because of the mind. Our problems are that we are not in the Word, our minds are not being held captive to the obedience of Christ. We are not thinking God's thoughts after Him. You find, as we read in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul says, We are not to be those that are drunk with wine, which is riotousness, but we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is a present tense imperative. It's a command that we are to constantly be being filled up with the Spirit of God. The present tense means a continual, habitual action in the life of the believer. The Spirit of God is to dwell in us richly, continually. And that means that we are to be people that are dominated, controlled, ruled by the Word of God. We are in every situation to think of that situation, about that situation, by the teaching of God's Word. This is a standard by which we live. So, Paul says in Colossians 3, that we are to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, with all teaching, with all understanding, uh, with all richness in that sense, and that we are to teach one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The Word is to dwell in us richly. Uh, That means we need to be people who are of the book. Now, I have been beside myself for the last 20 years as a pastor, not understanding how it is that people call themselves Christians and are not in God's Word, have no delight in God's Word, have no desire to be in the God's Word, have no hunger and thirst for the things of God. I, I don't get it. Something's not right. Something is absolutely wrong with that. You would know that when a child comes forth, and if it is stillborn, there's no motion. There's no activity. You see a physical body, but there's no activity there. There's no life that is there. You know that if a child comes forth and there is some life, but it doesn't have a desire to suckle, you know there's something wrong. And you would immediately get the doctors in there saying, something is wrong with my child. But it seems as if you bring it into the spiritual context, people are completely ignorant of that and think that it doesn't matter. I can call myself a Christian, but have no desire and no hunger for the things of God. Beloved, you're beside yourself. You're self-deceived if you think that. The Scripture knows nothing of that. There is no one who has raised up the newness of life that doesn't have a desire for the things of God. Now it varies within us as believers. Some have more of a desire than others. But the desire for the things of God must be there. As newborn babes, we desire the pure milk of the Word that we might grow thereby. We are the sheep of Christ's pasture and we hear His voice. We desire to hear His voice. 
People that are members of the church of Jesus Christ with their ears plugged. I'm a member, but I don't want to hear the voice of Christ. The Bible knows nothing of that. Our problems, my problem, your problem, always pertains to the way that we think. My problem in my Christian life is not all of my thoughts are brought captive to the obedience of Christ. My problem in my Christian life in dealing with every aspect there is, is that I am not thinking God's thoughts at particular points, and then I sin. That is my problem, that is your problem. We are those that have the mind of Christ at salvation. But beloved, the mind of Christ must be cultivated within our lives. So what that means is that we think in line, in accordance, consistently with the teaching of Scripture. Thus saith the Lord becomes our mantra. This is what we say. This is what we believe. This is how we approach things in life. The Lord says this. I don't care what the world says. The world says abortion is great. It ought to be aborted. We don't want to have this inconvenience in our life. Get rid of this thing. It's a nuisance. And we know that it's murder. We declare it to be so. So here it is. It's it's the problem of the mind. This is what Paul speaks about. Notice that our text this morning. Therefore. Now let's stop right there. You've heard it before. What is the therefore, therefore? The therefore takes us back to what was previously written. And what do we find previously written? Well, Paul mentions this in verse 32. He says in verse 30, we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. But in 32, notice that he says we are to be kind to one another. Now that's a real difficulty in the life of the church, isn't it? If we're not people that the Word of God is dwelling in us richly, we're not going to be kind. We're going to be self-centered. It's going to be all about us. It doesn't matter about anybody else. It's whether or not I have my pleasure and I get the things that I'm looking for. We're to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. This is a big one right here, isn't it? Forgiving one another. We're a people that loves to get revenge. We're not a people that humbles ourselves and likes to forgive. Now, I'm not talking about the silly evangelical forgive them in your heart, go your own way thing. I'm talking about when somebody wrongs you and they come to you and they say, forgive me, and you say, I won't. Or you're the hypocrite saying, I do, but you don't. And then you hold a grudge in your life. Now, if you have ever been wronged deeply, you know the difficulty of forgiving another individual. We all struggle with this to some degree because it takes humility to be able to forgive. It takes humility, this is the work of the Spirit, to be able to confess that you sinned, that you were wrong, that you wronged another, that you broke the commandments against another. It takes the work of the Spirit to bring humility for us to say that. Because we don't want to say that. That's the pride that wells up in our heart. I'm not going to confess. It makes me look weak. No, it makes you look like a fool when you don't. We have such a delusion that goes on in the life of the church that if I confess my sins, people will look differently towards me. Well, how? Biblically? There's nobody without sin... We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God every moment of every day. 
we have fallen short of glorifying God. We have a small beginning of obedience to the things of God in this life. You know where I, I think sanctification really begins to press home in the life of a believer is when you can truly, genuinely, sincerely, before God and before others, confess your sins. But you know what? I, I, I'm miserable still in my heart. I still have miserable rebellion in my heart. I still want to do my own thing. And I hate it. That's what Paul deals with in Romans 7. Wanting to do the right thing. Wanting to honor God. And yet finding another principle within him. Sin. Trying to bring me back into captivity. And sometimes I resist it. And sometimes I give in. You know what it is. Forgiving. Paul says, if we are to be imitators of God, we are to be a people that is kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is a clear declaration of God's Word. We have been forgiven a debt we could never pay, and therefore, we demonstrate we are forgiven people. We are not grudge holders because we forgive others who come and ask for forgiveness. Now, what happens when somebody doesn't come and ask? Well, you go to them. And you tell them their fault. And if they don't repent, then you take it to the church courts. And once that's been done, and somebody says, I forgive, but they still don't forgive, you're not to have a grudge in your heart against them. But what you are to always be ready to do is to forgive one who comes and confesses. That's what Jesus said to Peter in, in Luke 7. How many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Seventy times seven, Jesus said. It doesn't mean 490 times for you legalists. It simply means that our life is to be a perpetual forgiving others who wrong us. I have sinned against so many people in my life I can't even count it. And I want forgiveness. I want to be forgiven. When I sin and I confess it, I want to be forgiven. And so do you. But how readily are you to extend forgiveness to one who sinned against you? And then let's go a little bit deeper. Are you forgiving as God in Christ has forgiven you? You'll notice in our catechism lesson that God no more remembers our sins against us again, so we're no longer under condemnation. What does that mean? It means that once sin is forgiven, it's not brought up against us again. How often do we not practice that? How often do we say we forgive someone, and yet when they fall into another situation, uh, you say, that's the second time you did that. You demonstrate that you never truly forgave them the first time. You see, the man who was forgiven a debt he could not pay before the king, the king says, I forgive you of all that debt, went out and demonstrated that he was truly not a man who was forgiven. He has extended forgiveness, but he had no compassion. He didn't care about that. He ran out and he grabbed somebody that owed him a day's wages. He said, pay me what you owe. And the man says, you know what? Be merciful to me, and I'll pay all that I owe you. But he would not. Notice the hardness of the heart. Here's one who probably went out and said, The king has forgiven me a debt I could never pay in a hundred lifetimes. 
but I'm not going to forgive this one. Which demonstrated the hardness of that man's heart. He didn't recognize and understand the value of being forgiven. The Christian is to imitate God. We are to be a forgiving people. Notice the word imitators there. Imitators of God. To imitate, mimites, the Greek text, uh, Greek word there, it means to mimic. You know what it means to mimic? It's to do or to say the same thing. We find the same thing in the word uh, confession, homologeo. It's to say the same thing. It's to do the same thing that God does. Being kind to the unthankful. God is kind. God gives the rain, He gives the sunshine to the unthankful, to the ungodly. God provides these providential bounties. So we are to be kind. Let me ask you this. Why do you do what you do for other people? This is a real difficulty, isn't it? If you're an encourager, do you encourage other people so that others will? Or do you just simply encourage for the glory of God? I have to do that self-check as well. Because it's hard to be an encourager. Because there is a dearth of encouragement in the life of the church. We love to receive. We don't do too good at giving. Sermon comes up about giving or tithing. Oh, I can hear the groans going on right now. It's the word of God. You know, Jesus speaks more about money than anything else in Scripture. It's about your possessions. Because, you know, it's really telltale of how we handle our possessions, isn't it? Of what's going on down in the heart. So, being imitators of God as dear children, as those who are the loved of God, we are to do what God does. We are to then be people of the book. If you're not a person of the book, beloved, you're not going to know what God does in His Word. You're not going to know historically what God has done. You're not going to know the kind and merciful and gracious acts that the Lord has provided for a multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation of the world. You're not going to know the generosity, the love, the compassion, the kindness, the gentleness of Jesus Christ. You're not going to know the gentleness of the one who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, unless you're a person of the book, unless you're reading the Word of God, and you're seeing the action of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the rich young ruler came up to him, and he says, What good thing must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, Well, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? And then he started, you know, with the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. They do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, don't lie, don't covet. Well, all these things I've kept from my youth. He didn't understand the extent of the commandments. What am I lacking? And the text says that Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him and he told him the truth. Well, if you want to enter into heaven, sell all that you have, give to the poor and come follow me. And he went away sad because he had much wealth. What was Jesus saying there? You've got to abandon your idols, your money, your riches, all of your material possessions. That is your God. You have a false God. But the point is that Jesus loved him. What does love do, beloved? It speaks the truth. It's hard. Truth in our day has fallen on hard times, hasn't it? People, what is truth? You could have your truth, I can have my truth. Truth isn't person relative. 
Truth is absolute. Truth is universal. Adultery in the United States is prohibited by the Word of God as it is in Russia or China or Japan or anywhere else in the world. It's all under the universal command of God. Stealing theft is wrong in the United States as it is in Russia, China, Japan or anywhere else. It's universal. It's absolute. It's God's law. So we imitate God. How are you doing with forgiving others? How are you doing in being kind to one another? Kind person is a giving person. Kind person is not a gossiper. Kind person is not a slanderer. How kind are you with your words? How kind are you with your possessions? How kind are you with your presence? With your personal presence? Being in somebody else's company? How kind are you? How gracious are you with your words? We are to speak words that are seasoned with salt that impart grace to the hearers. So he goes on and he says, being imitators of God as those who are the beloved ones of God and to walk in love. Uh, Walk, as the Apostle Paul uses that word peripateo for our manner of life, has reference to wherever you go, peripateo, walking all around, but it refers to every aspect of our life, uh, we are to walk in love. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Love is in, feelings are involved in love. There's emotions involved in love. But primarily in Scripture, uh, love is seen as a verb. God so loved the world that He gave. Paul says in Galatians 2, Christ loved me and gave Himself for me. Love gives. Love commits. Love provides. Love protects. We are to walk in love. Jesus uses this in John 13 about the foot washing. And he says that people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have one for another. That means, beloved, more than just talking, but in doing. James says that if we're a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, we're deceiving ourselves. It's interesting, James uses a mathematical term there in James 1, and it refers to miscalculation. And what he is saying is, you've miscalculated. If you think you can just hear and walk away and not implement, not put into practice what has been taught, you're deceived. Because the truth transforms. We are to live and practice the truth of God's Word. So we're to walk in love. We're to be a giving people. Giving of our time, our talents, our treasures. Giving of ourselves to other people. Walk in love as Christ also loved us. This is the, this is the example. is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and beloved, we have been saved to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29 God saved us to be conformed to the image of His Son. If that is happening in our lives, it's going to be seen, isn't it? It happened in the book of Acts, and what did they do? They turned the world upside down. Notice that it happened in the book of Acts, and therefore they were hated by the world because they were more and more like Jesus. So Christ loved us that He has given Himself for us, and we are to imitate that. We are to give ourselves to others. We are to be those as the Good Samaritan 
who provides help and aid for one who has need, his neighbor as he crosses his path. We are not to be like the priest and the Levite. Uh, the one, hey, we're on the Lord's business. I ain't got time to help this one here left for dead. I've got other things of more importance to do. This is not what the Good Shepherd teaches us. He cares. When one is a ox or something falls into the ditch, Jesus says, You pull it out on the Lord's day. What about this man who's crippled from birth? What about him and caring for him? You care more about your animals than you care for human beings. Jesus rebuked them at that. Love demonstrates a sacrifice. And this is a sweet-smelling aroma as we are living sacrifices of thanksgiving to God. Romans 12.2 Now, this is where Paul really puts the screws to all of us. And I say all of us, beloved. Not some of us. From the youngest in here who are cognitive of their existence to the eldest person in here, is all feels the screws of the teaching of the Apostle Paul here. If we are going to be people that walk in love, and we're going to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ, notice, we are not to be those involved in fornication. Notice the word fornication and uncleanness. Ekatharsia is uncleanness. Pornia is the fornication. Pornea involves every and any sexual sin. Doesn't matter what it is, it falls under the purview of the seventh commandment. The archathea just simply refers to general evil. And he links those together, and he does so almost as a Greek candidatus to really bring and round out the whole of the word. Everything sexually unclean, no matter what it is is a violation of the seventh commandment of God. We live in a day that is rampant with sexual immorality. The internet. The internet has provided a haven of pornography, pornea. And it has dragged many down by being involved in that. And you know, the, there, there's something that happens within the body. And it's not only men. It's probably predominantly men. But there are also women involved in pornography. There is something that happens within the physical body, releasing of certain chemicals that drags you deeper and deeper and deeper into it. It's hard to shake yourself loose when you're involved in that. I've seen and I've heard of men who have been deposed from the ministry over those sexual sins. Paul says, this is not to be named among us. Notice also covetousness. The covetousness is linked with fornication and uncleanness because it's in fact desiring the things that God has not given to you. Every one of us have broken the seventh commandment. You may not have done it physically, but you have done it spiritually. We have all thought lustful thoughts. There's not one of us in here who hasn't had a lustful thought. Beloved, do you see the sweetness of the gospel? If Christ does not fulfill the seventh commandment in our place, we're damned. We are not the Pharisees who say that as long as I abstain from sexual sin, physically speaking, I'm good, I have kept the commandments. No. The commandments uh, 
demand a comprehensive obedience of body and soul. That means to love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not one thought can go astray from obedience to His Word. If salvation depends on my performance, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I die. There's no hope. These cults that come around to your house and want to tell you you have to do certain things to be right with God is it's just simply a ministry of damnation. That's all they are. It's destruction. It's under the curse and wrath of God. Salvation is of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that accomplishes all the, the, the specific down to the jots and the tittles of the demands of God's law. He alone And beloved, when you have Christ, you have all that is necessary to your salvation. His perfect righteousness, holiness, and satisfaction. And even though you struggle in this life with sexual sins, you're not condemned. You are one who confesses it to the Lord. You are one who is striving to turn away from it, realizing that you cannot do it of your own strength. You need the strength of the Lord. And here's how foolish we are. We absent ourselves from the means of grace, the Word working in us by the Spirit of God, and therefore we fall deeper and deeper into those sins. And when the Word of God works within us, He brings us up further and further, up, out, and away from that sin. It's a painful process. It's difficult in our lives. Some have a haven and have simply a process and have cultivated the sinful, lustful thoughts in their life for years. Well, that being the case, you're cultivating that ground and the seeds begin to grow. Let me ask you, is it a mystery when you're somewhere where nobody else knows and you're behind closed doors and you get propositioned by a prostitute and you didn't fall into that sin, you've been running headlong into it for years. That has been your thought pattern. And when the right circumstances came about, the sun was shining and the rain had fallen and it had cultivated and boom, the flowers began to grow, right? But they're weeds. They're weeds of destruction. Paul says, and this is a present tense imperative, it's a command for us, that all this covetousness, it's not to be named among you. So, the man caught in adultery with his father's wife, probably his stepmother. The Corinthians were gloating in this. And the Apostle Paul said, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, cast him out. The man is to be cast out of the church for the destruction of his flesh. There's to be repentance in his life. Many times the church can be slow to discipline, to dealing with outright rebellious sinning members. That ought not to be so. It is a mercy. It is a kindness to be rebuked for sin. In the same Same vein, when one repents, they are to be brought back into the fold. It's not about your feelings. It is about the objective Word of God. A lot of times this is a problem, isn't it? We want our feelings to trump Scripture. Your feelings are irrelevant. They are, um, well, you know what I was trying to say. It doesn't matter what your feelings are. 
Your feelings don't trump God's word. Your feelings are to be informed by God's word. Look, if you're angry without a cause, if if somebody hasn't violated the commandments against you, and you're angry with them, you have the great sin. So Paul speaks about this in 2 Corinthians 2, when the man repented, and then the church wouldn't forgive him. Paul says, forgive him. Bring him back. Lest he be swallowed up with too much grief. It's done its work. So the apostle says then, this is not to be something that is named among us. You know, um, in our day and age, it's, uh, you know, there have been people that have said, this mirrors the way of the world. The church looks pretty much similar to the ways of the world. We buy into the same kind of thought patterns of the world. I, you know, I, I don't think that that's, that's not correct, that's not accurate, but I think that there is something to that. And why I say that is because uh, my experience in the life of the church is that there's not a lot of church members who are serious about cultivating God's word in their life. It's kind of an addendum, it's an afterthought. It's not something that we desire. It's not something that we hunger for. To know God more intimately. And Paul says it really clear in Romans 12. That if we're not being transformed, we're being conformed. So if my mind is not constantly being renewed, and I need it. Then you're going to be thinking just like the world thinks. And then you come into the church saying, it's okay. This is just how we are. And we're good at making excuses. Paul says, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness. So, notice the filthiness. We understand the filthy talk, the filthiness. You may not have uh, dealt with this physically with regards to verse 3. You may not be one who is steeped in pornography, but maybe you've dabbled in it. You may not, maybe, maybe you're not even one who dabbles in pornography. You're not one who is on the internet. But you've seen women and you've lusted after them. Do you remember the Super Bowl? I, I think it was maybe 2008, 2009. <clears throat> and GoDaddy was a web server. Uh, they had some lady that was on there introducing GoDaddy web server. And I had read an article after that <clears throat> that had said that that website crashed that night because of all the traffic going to that website. What they said is that the searches were who is that woman that was on that GoDaddy commercial. You see, the, the men were so drawn to that object, that image on the TV that they immediately went to the web server. They, they got their phones and bing, 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 punching it all in. and It created a huge traffic jam and the web server just imploded. It went down tells you the state of where we are in our culture. People come up with statistics. Now, I don't know how they come up with this, but I'm just simply saying what I read. It says that men think about sex every three seconds. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I don't know how you calculate that. Maybe take a survey and you ask men, what do you think about most of the day? What do you think about? What's on your mind? Let's say if we had the device to be able to plug into you and to reveal right here in front of everybody everything that you have thought since last Lord's Day. Any volunteers? How come? 
I mean that we have no volunteers to reveal every thought, every word, and every action from this past week demonstrates we know our only hope is the Lord. And this is what Paul says, don't let the filthiness or the foolish talking, the moronic talking, that's what it means, morologia, where we get the word moronic, foolish talk. There's a lot of foolish talk, isn't there? There's a lot of noise pollution. Talking, but my dad used to say that all the time to me. You're just talking to hear yourself talk. Well, as a kid, you understand, you know, this is not a big deal for you as a little kid. But when you get to be an adult, and you're just talking to hear yourself talk, you're just spreading noise pollution. There's something wrong with you. Moronic talk. There's a lot of moronic talk within our world that wants to deny the creation of God. Here's some moronic talk for you. Making men's bathing suits to look like women's bathing suits. Those are morons who come up with that. We have morons in our culture. We have morons in the White House. We have morons that are running the country. We have foolish talk that goes on. That men can be men, or women and women can be men. And that you can choose your gender. That's foolishness. That's absolute moronic talk. The doctor doesn't decide your gender at birth. It's already been decided. God is the one who determines that. All they're doing is recognizing what comes forth. These doctors want to to determine for themselves, well, we'll call this one, even though everything of the anatomy says male, we'll say female. And we'll let it go at that. Commercials on TV. I have seen more homosexual and lesbian things in the past maybe six months or a year than I have in a lifetime. I, it's, 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 it is so sickening to see it. That they pose it like it's natural. It's unnatural. If you're a male and you have sexual desires and feelings for another man, that is not natural. It's part of the fall. That is your rebellion against God. Foolish talking that goes on. That this... We have foolish talking, beloved. I have foolish talking at times. We need to really assess our words. One time I put a recorder in my pocket. Actually, it was one kind of like this MP3 recorder. And I carried it around in my pocket all day long. And at one point, I forgot that I even had it. And then, you know, I don't know how many hours went by, I shut it off and I listened to it. And to listen to what I was saying in, you know, four or five hour span of time. Foolish, coarse jesting. And if you're jesting coarsely, foolish jokes, just like the world, the world comes up with these particular jokes and we laugh at them, we, we're involved right with them, we tell them again and retell them. Hey, I'm guilty of that one too. So I said, I'm guilty in three and four. I'm guilty of all of this. And if not for the grace of God and Jesus Christ, I'm damned. I have no hope. It's not a practice of my life. 
But it's certainly I am not one who can say, I am above this, I am beyond this, I have never. But there are some of you in here who would act that way. You would think that way. You would behave that way. And then you will not be compassionate and forgiving towards others who have fallen into these particular sins. Remember, this is all has to be tempered by the love of God. Being loving and kind towards one another. We are not to be those involved and caught up in the ways of the world, but rather, notice, but rather, not that, but this, giving of thanks. If we had a meter that could measure our thankfulness to the Lord, what would it look like? What would yours look like? Are you a thankful person? Are you one who is acknowledged by others? That person is a thankful individual. They're constantly expressing appreciation and thankfulness for God's blessings and for even the temporal things that the Lord provides. Are are you one that's noted? You die and there's an inscription on your tombstone. Will it be, there lies a thankful individual? Now most of us would say this, the pat words, well, I'm not as thankful as I ought to be. That's a given. Because we ought to be perfectly thankful, but we're not. Well, let me ask you this. How often do we loathe the fact that I'm not not thankful as I ought to be? I'm not thankful for some of the the least things in life. I'm, I'm unthankful that things didn't happen and fall out the way that I wanted them to fall out. And yet I can't be thankful that God has given these particular things for a certain amount of time to enjoy for that amount of time, but then He's taken it away and He has every right to. And then I complain and groan about the Lord has taken it away. But have I been thankful for the little things that God has given? He has given us all things richly to enjoy. But beloved, you know there comes a time and a season in everything that the Lord takes particular things. You had a home, you lived in a home, you enjoyed your home, you cleaned your home, you you enjoyed every aspect about it, and then a season in life the Lord took that away and you moved to another place. And maybe the things that you once did and enjoyed doing, you no longer are able to do. There's a season of life in everything. Are you thankful for the little things now? We all need a teaching and instruction on this, don't we? Giving of thanks. None of us are as thankful as we ought to be. We can praise the Lord that Christ while he walked the earth, was perfectly thankful to our Heavenly Father. He left no stone unturned in thanksgiving to his Heavenly Father. You find Jesus in private in his prayers, which are public to us, but private at the time. You find also Jesus publicly declaring, I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. In the Lord's Supper, he broke the bread, he gave thanks to God. The feeding of the 5,000. He gives thanks to the Father. Jesus is thankful. And we are to emulate that. So here the apostle is putting off, putting on. And beloved, this is not easy. Christian life is not easy. It's easy to, to, to just float downstream with the dead fish. It, it's hard to swim upstream, isn't it? It's hard to run the race. We get tired, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with saying that you get tired. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm, I'm weary. I'm struggling. 
This is a battle. I'm fighting the good fight of faith. And, and I feel like I'm slipping. Well, where do you go? Where do you turn? You turn to the Lord. The Lord alone can give us the strength. But beloved, we need one another as well to encourage and to direct back to the Lord, to recalibrate our minds so that we would live a thankful life, a love, the life of love, a forgiving life, a tender, kind-hearted life that emulates the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul really deals with all of us here saying, you are not dead men any longer. You have been raised up to newness of life. Walk as children of light. You are the salt. You are the light. Live it and shine for the glory of God. God will strengthen us by the Spirit and the Word as we commit our lives to Him. Amen. Shall we pray?